0: Are authorities any closer to apprehending Brian Laundrie? The answer to that question depends on who you ask.
1: He was talking wild. He to- he said that his girlfriend loved him and he had to go out to California to see her. And he was asking me how to get to California. I do
2: not believe that he's in Mexico or Brazil.
1: Hey, we're County 911, what's the location of your emergency? Um, well, I'm, I'm on the highway right now, but um, I, I ran into Brian Lauer just a little while ago.
0: You're listening to Speaking of Crime. The FBI have officially taken over the search for Brian. After what feels like an eternity, police are no longer concentrating their search in the 25,000-acre Carlton Reserve. Northport Police Department spokesman Josh Taylor says this, I don't think you're going to see those large-scale types of efforts this week. The FBI is now leading the search. I'm told it'll be scaled back and targeted based on intelligence. Hopefully, water will lower in areas hard to currently access. Meanwhile, Dog the Bounty Hunter says he feels he is closing in on Brian and has continued his search on the islands off the west coast of Florida. As of 10 p.m. on Tuesday, September 28th, he says he has reason to believe that Brian was alive and moving around.
2: Well, I would assume, um, you know, he is alive. Not alive and doing well, but he's alive. But he could have got out during night, then he'd have to have help. From, I guess it might be close to a family member, and, you know, he's taken off somewhere else.
0: Laundrie's parents released a statement through their attorney, Stephen Bertolino, stating, Chris and Roberta Laundry do not know where Brian is. They are concerned about Brian and hope the FBI can locate him. The speculation by the public and some in the press that the parents assisted Brian in leaving the family home or in avoiding arrest on a warrant that was issued after Brian had already been missing for several days is just wrong. Richard Stafford, an attorney for Gabby Petito's family, expressed skepticism that Brian's parents would help in the FBI's ongoing search for him.
3: For the laundry's silence, the laundries did not help us find Gabby. They sure is not going to help us find Brian.
4: What's very telling are the actions and demeanor of Brian's parents. They definitely are not those of a mother or father who is worried sick about their child. They have been seen casually running errands, gardening in their backyard, and seem very unconcerned about Brian's safety or whereabouts. We saw firsthand what parents do when they are worried sick for the welfare of their child. When we watched all four of Gabby's parents come together to start searching for her themselves, pleading with the public for any information contacting everyone they could and just hoping and praying for her safe return. This is not the behavior of the Laundries. In fact, their conduct is quite the opposite. People have taken to social media to share their thoughts on the Laundries' responses to Brian's disappearance. Kirstie Alley tweeted, "'A plea to the parents of Brian Laundry, If this was your missing child, you would be in terror, desperate for information. Any information would help you in the search for your child.' Please give information to Gabby's suffering family. Please help them the way you would want. Another Twitter user, whose handle is GoPapoGo, wrote, Brian Laundrie's parents are the calmest parents of a missing child that I've ever seen. How should parents of a missing child be reacting? All you have to do is look at Gabby Petito's parents and their reaction when Gabby went missing. More details have emerged that suggest Brian was planning to evade capture. On September 14th, Brian visited a local AT&T store with an older woman, whose identity we don't know yet, in his hometown of Northport. He purchased what is believed to be a burner phone. That's the same day Brian's parents say they last saw Brian before he left to the Carleton Reserve. FBI agents recently visited the AT&T store and seized surveillance footage. The family's lawyer, however, is stating that a phone was purchased on September 4th, not the 14th. And he thinks that the phone purchased was not a burner phone and is the same one that Brian left behind when he took off without his phone or wallet. The phone that was left behind is in the hands of the FBI now. Brianna Fox, a former FBI special agent and associate professor in the Department of Criminology at the University of South Florida, had this to say. The fact that Laundrie left those two key items behind may mean there's very little digital or forensic evidence for authorities. The cell phone would have helped investigators know who Laundrie was communicating with and where he may have been, while his wallet would have told them where he's spending money. Unlike other fugitives or people that are missing, we typically have reason to believe they're in a populated area. In this case, it looks like he attempted to maybe go off the grid and is not living in society, so it makes it even harder to find him. TMZ attempted to reach out to the AT&T store to confirm whether Brian was, in fact, in their store, but they said they couldn't confirm or deny it and that only law enforcement could answer that question. When asked why the Laundries had purchased a new cell phone, Bertolino responded, Sorry, I can't speculate. We are left with so many unanswered questions. Did Brian, in fact, purchase a burner phone as well that day? And what happened to Brian's previous phone that we see him pull out in the body cam footage when police pulled him and Gabby over? What was the need to purchase a new phone only to leave it behind the very same day?
5: And then there is Cassie, Brian's sister, who was the only one in the family giving any statements to police or the press, which seemed to appear as though she may be the only one with some compassion and humanity. Turns out she was also lying. She previously told Good Morning America in an interview that she hadn't spoken to Brian since he returned home without Gabby.
4: I haven't been able to talk to him. I've cooperated every way that I can. I wish I had information or I would give more. I, I, This is all I have. Me and my family want Gabby to be found safe. She's like a sister and my children love her and all I want is for her to come home safe and sound and this to be just a big misunderstanding.
5: However, it has now been revealed that she went to the same campsite in Florida's Fort DeSoto Park Brian and his parents visited and spent the day with them. Bertolino has attempted to explain it away as a misunderstanding. In an email to ABC7, he wrote, Cassie saw her brother Brian on September 1st when he stopped by her home and again on September 6th at Fort DeSoto Park. Law enforcement agencies are well aware of these dates. Any prior communication by Cassie that does not reflect these dates is simply a difference of relating an answer to a question misinterpreted by Cassie or poorly posed by the Inquirer. So now we know that not only did Cassie speak to her brother since he's been home, but she spent time with him on at least two separate occasions. Joe Petito had a very clear message for Cassie.
6: Well... If you love Gabby as a sister and you knew your brother was home on the 10th and no Gabby to be found who lives in that house and told no one. Okay. It explains a lot to why we're in the situation that we're in now, you know, because their version of love. Is completely different than everyone else's on the entire planet. She is a mother, and she's got kids. So I'm hoping that the pleas, and the begging, and the community, and the you know entire damn planet, knock some sense into her. But she's like, I gotta, I, I gotta speak. Like I can't live with this on my conscience.
0: Details of that camping trip and surveillance footage of the laundry's visit there have also surfaced. On August 24th, Roberta Laundry made reservations for two people to be at the park from September 1st through the 3rd. However, on August 31st, she contacted the park to cancel those reservations. Why she canceled those dates, we don't know but it's peculiar that Brian arrived home on September 1st. It's possible that this cancellation indicates that Roberta learned Brian was on his way home and canceled the trip so she could be at home when he was to arrive the very next day. Then, records from Pinellas County show that a new reservation was made by Roberta on September 3rd, but this time for three people to visit the Fort DeSoto Park on September 6th. Dog the Bounty Hunter, who was the one to discover this information and the bookings at the park after receiving a tip, says that surveillance footage shows that while three people arrived at the park on the 6th, only two people left on the 8th, meaning he thinks Brian stayed behind at the park.
2: We were notified by a couple family members and our fans just kept social media us to uh, a no end. Please, dog, please, since you're in the area, will you check it out? So once Francie and I started reading about the case and seeing what was going on, we're in Colorado. So the, the couple had passed through Colorado. So we, mm-hmm. that got our attention right away. So yes, we're down there. I went to the father's house to talk to the dad and he wouldn't answer the door. Right.
0: Where do you think Brian Laundrie is?
2: Well, we have a special hotline, 833-CALL-DOG, and we've gotten over a thousand leads. Wow. So we've really, Francie and I really started this two days ago, so we're going through all those leads. right. It's incredible. Pictures of him here, there, here, there. We're going through all those leads right now. I would say within 48 hours, we probably will have a location where we start the tracking at.
1: Now, I understand a a number of the leads have suggested check out the Appalachian Trail. Why is that?
2: Well, he the the leads, yes, have said that. And the reason is because he spent a couple months there in the past and he is an outdoorsman. So he's got T-shirts on on his social media with the mountains. He's got pictures. He's been there before, so he's very young. He's not an experienced criminal. He'll do what he should do. He can't stay and shoplift and stay in cheap motels or rob people like a lot of people that I chase. This kid is an outdoorsman. So I think he went to, again, where he's comfortable, to the outdoors.
0: The family attorney, Bertolino, confirmed to CNN that the family went camping at that time, but also said that the family left the park together. When asked about the Laundries changing their reservation date at the campground, Bertolino said he did not have details on DeSoto Park reservations other than the family did not go on September 1st through the 3rd, but went on the 6th through the 7th instead. What's very interesting is that there was another family camping in the spot right next to the laundries in DeSoto Park. Marcy and Kenny Newsom said they could not confirm physically seeing Brian, but a selfie from their trip appears to show Brian walking in the background across the campsite. Of course, the person in the background is not in focus and far away, so we can't confirm whether or not that is in fact Brian. But considering that Roberta, Brian's mom, had booked the campsite right next to the Newsom's, chances are very good that it could actually be Brian. The couple realized they may have stayed near the laundry family after looking through their own photos and seeing a red truck with a camper in the pictures, just like the one parked at the laundry home. Another camper, Thomas Rutherford, whose name appeared on the park's registration, was celebrating his anniversary with his wife just three spots down from the laundries. He told Fox News that he could vaguely remember spotting the laundry's vehicle, which they noted due to the novelty of seeing a camper attached to a vehicle.
4: Additional body cam footage has been released of the August 12th incident with Brian and Gabby. In this footage, which is from Officer Eric Pratt's camera, we can see a more complete conversation that the officers had with both Brian and Gabby, and it also leaves us pondering, even more so, how the officers made the unfortunate decisions they did that day. It's clear now that the officers were fully aware of the 911 call and that it had been reported a male was hitting the female in the altercation. You can hear Gabby state for herself that Brian did in fact hit her. She tries to minimize it and take the blame herself. But nonetheless, she does say that he hit her and even gave her a cut on her face.
7: Hey, how are you? I'm good. My name's Eric. I'm with Moab Police. What's your name? Gabby. Gabby, how old are you? I'm 22. What happened? What's going on? I'm just having a stress, strawberry stress morning. Yeah. Is this your husband or boyfriend? <laughs> My fiance. Fiance. Is he a pretty good guy. Yeah. What happened over at moonflower? Yeah. Um. Well, I was just really stressed this morning, trying to get a lot of work done, and I was apologizing to him on the. I had thrown a bunch of stuff in the back because all our bags were back there and I was just apologizing. I was like, I'm sorry that I get so stressed out because I have OCD and I was just like organizing stuff and sometimes I just have a mean attitude but I'm not trying to be mean about straightening things up and stuff so I was just apologizing but I guess I said it in like a mean tone and got really frustrated. was out of the car and told me to go take a breather, but I didn't want to take a breather because I wanted to get going. We're out, we're out of water, and then, gone, man? and then I told him to drive and get water because I'm very thirsty. Yeah, is there something on your cheek here? Looks like did, did you get did you get hit in the face? Um, kind of looks like something mm-hmm. like hit you in the face. I don't and know. Then over on your arm, um, your shoulder, right here. There's, that's new, huh? It's kind of a new mark. Oh, yeah, I don't know. Can I see the other side of your face? So, what happened here and here? Um, I, I'm not sure it was a, the a That's I was just trying to get in the back of the car, and his backpack was on the band back, band and band and band got me. back, So the back backpack back 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 gotcha.
1: You. You got so there's and two
7: help. people that came and to us and told us that they saw him hit you. There's two people saying that they saw him punch you. We're just independent witnesses by Moonflower. Well, to be honest, I definitely hit him first. Where'd you hit him? I slapped him. In the creek you, the face. you slapped him first, and then just on his face. You get, you just shut up? How many times did you slap him? Romeo. And then what? And you know, then his reaction was hit, to do what? Okay, be I I really him. He just grabbed you. Yeah. Did he? Did he hit you though? I mean, I mean, it's okay if you're saying you hit him, and then I, I understand if he hit you, but we want to know the truth if he actually hit you. Oh. I guess, guess, yeah, but
4: I can first. Moab City Police Department has announced that it will launch an independent inquiry into how its officers handled Brian and Gabby's domestic dispute on August 12th, just days before Gabby was killed. Amidst the backlash the Moab City Police Department has received for their handling of the domestic dispute. Their chief, Brett Edge, has taken a leave of absence under the Family Medical Leave Act.
5: Another man has also come forward realizing that he had an encounter with Brian Beck when he was still on the cross-country trip. Hunter Manny's told the New York Post he and his friend saw a man who matched the description of Brian drinking alone at Bullwinkle Saloon in West Yellowstone on the night of August 26th. He said the bar was not busy with only five people inside. Hunter and his friend struck up a conversation with a physician and her partner who were the only other people at the bar. The four of them got talking about guns and politics when the man they believed to be Brian inserted himself into the conversation and said, stupid Southerners and effing Republicans. Hunter's friend responded by saying stupid Southerners. She and I both have doctor in front of our names. Do you? Hunter kind of laughed and said, well, where are you from? And the guy responded and said, New York. And I have a name. It's Brian. To which Hunter said, Let me ask you this, New York. What did you expect to find in a small mountain town in the middle of nowhere, Montana? Did you expect to find a bunch of Democrats? And that was the last exchange they had with the guy. But they got a weird vibe from him. Hunter went on to say this. He was overly invested in our conversation. We felt watched. He wasn't talking to the bartenders. He was there alone. It just stood out as odd. Bullwinkle's Saloon is about a three-hour drive from the Spread Creek camping area where Gabby's van had been spotted that same day. Once the news of Gabby's disappearance was all over the news, Hunter's friend called him and said, that's the crazy guy from the bar. Hunter went on to say, just the way he carried himself, and I heard his voice, it was him. How many people named Brian from New York who look exactly like him are in the middle of nowhere at the bar? He has reported their encounter to the FBI.
0: Dog the Bounty Hunter has been busy on the hunt as well. He announced that he is adding $10,000 to the reward for any information leading to Brian's arrest, bringing the total to $180,000. Most of the funds have been privately donated by people supporting Gabby's family. Lissa, Dog's daughter, said she's gotten close to 3,000 tips through the 833-TELL-DOG hotline in the past week. Dog's team has been compiling as much information as they can about the Laundry family. They have had documents sent to their tip line. Lissa said, people are sending financials, vehicle records, addresses, phone numbers. We are tracing down all known relatives, where they live, friends, family members, who they went to school with. We want to know everything about Brian, what kind of cigarettes he smokes, and what color socks he wears. Lissa believes that Brian is still alive, simply based on the fact that the FBI is still conducting such an extensive search. She said, I don't believe they'd be spending this kind of money on a body recovery. They must have something they think is definitive, which they are not sharing with the public. Bertolino, the Laundry family lawyer, had this to say about Dog the Bounty Hunter I will no longer give that dog credibility or dignify his false claims with the time of my reply. On Sunday, September 26th, the FBI visited the Laundry home again, this time to collect Brian's personal items. Bertolini issued a statement saying, the FBI requested some personal items belonging to Brian Laundry to assist them with DNA matching and Brian's parents provided the FBI with what they could. And Dog also mentioned that some items his team found are being tested for DNA.
2: We have found several items and we turned them over the day before yesterday to the FBI.
4: Then more recently, on Saturday, October 2nd, around 1.30 a.m. Eastern, Dennis Davis says he ran into Brian and spoke to him on a deserted road near the Appalachian Trail by the border of Tennessee and North Carolina. He says the man he spoke to, which he believes was Brian, was driving a white pickup truck. Lissa sent Dennis an audio file of Brian's voice, and he says it was the same voice he heard. He said... There is no doubt in my mind. I spoke to Brian Laundry, none whatsoever. He says that a man who seemed to be rather confused waved him down on Waterville Road and proceeded to ask for directions to California. When Dennis told the man to take Interstate 40, he refused and said he preferred to stay on the back roads. Dennis continued driving west when he realized that the man could have been Brian. He pulled over and looked up pictures of Brian on his phone. He said. The very first picture I pulled up was that portrait view of him with that black beard and mustache. And right at that minute, I said, this is absolutely him. Davis said he then made two calls to the FBI, one call to Tennessee 911 and one to North Carolina 911. This is what Dennis said on one of those 911 calls. Hey, Wake County 911, what's the location of your emergency?
1: Um... Well I'm I'm on the highway right now, but um, I, I ran into Brian Lauer just a little while ago. Okay, where did you see him at? Um I was I was at the parking lot for the Appalachian Trail on the north side of Okay, can you tell me, like, was you at an overlook? Yes, I am. Okay, yeah, you're probably going through the gorge. You lose service every now and then. So, where did you yeah. see him at? On Waterville Road. Okay, and just on Waterville, or did you see him near a house? Did you see a mailbox? He was he was driving a truck. It was a white truck. I think it was a Ford F-150. I'm not a hundred percent sure of that. And it was kind of a, a newer model. It wasn't like an old beater. It was a, a newer truck. Okay, and what makes you say that it was him? Well, he would, first off, I was, I was ter- making a U-turn and in the road, and he came up behind me and he slowed down and kind of flashed his lights like telling me, oh, go ahead and go and I'm gonna wait for you. And as I turned around and I'm coming back by him, he's waving his arm out of, out of his truck, like for me to slow down. And I pull up next to him and he was, he was talking wild. He, to- he said that his girlfriend loved him and he had to go out to California to see her. And he was asking me how to get to California. And I said, well, you can get on I-40 right there and drive west, and you'll get there. And he said, no, I think I can go this way, and kind of left. But he was acting funny. And I wasn't sure about what he looked like. And then I got, I went and parked and pull, pulled up the photographs of him, and I'm 99.99% sure that was him. Oh, okay. I'm going to let my sergeant know, Okay. Okay.
4: Lissa had been in contact with Dennis and told the Post, We're doing everything we can to verify Dennis's tip, but there isn't much to go off other than the location. But we're working that tip for sure. Brian's sister Cassie broke her silence. She came out of her house and addressed the protesters who were yelling outside explaining that the protesters were making her kids very upset and the kids had to learn of Gabby's death through the screaming outside her house and she wanted it to stop. But the things she said are alarming and very telling. She not only addressed every question the small crowd asked her, but she revealed that she did not know if her parents were involved in Brian's disappearance and she didn't know if Brian killed Gabby.
8: The thing about it is, we know Gabby's family. Gabby Gabby's...
4: We do. we do too.
8: What do you want us to do?
4: We cooperate with the police, we're not supposed to talk to anybody, and you're making my children cry.
8: We're, was Brian with you on September
1: 1st? Did he come to this house? He yes. came
4: to this house with my parents in their Mustang, not the van. I did not know that he took that van back. I found out the next day with everybody else. We are just as upset, frustrated, and heartbroken as everybody else. And I am losing my parents and my brother and my children's aunt and my future sister-in-law on top of this. We were at Fort DeSoto on the 6th. We got there at around 2 o'clock and we left around 8 on the 6th. Richard Stafford, the Petito and Schmidt family lawyer, revealed a detail on the Dr. Phil show that we had all suspected. As we know, the FBI had stated that Brian knowingly and with intent to defraud, used one or more unauthorized access devices, namely a Capital One bank debit card and personal identification numbers for two accounts. That bank card Brian had been using, and for which the federal arrest warrant was issued by the FBI, was, in fact, Gabby's card.
3: They're not helping their son at all. That when you look as a prosecutor, we don't know what happened here. Now, I'm sure the FBI has a lot more evidence than we have. You can look at his state of mind by his actions. And he, he ran, he stole her credit card, he used her credit card to get home, and then ran from the police. That's gonna show a lot what he was thinking back then.
4: And if there aren't already enough discrepancies and oddities in this case, Brian's parents have now gone on to say, that Brian allegedly left their family home on Monday, September 13th, for a hike, and not the day they had initially stated, which was Tuesday, September 14th.
5: There haven't been any more details released about the cause of Gabby's death. While speaking to NewsNation, Dave Ehrenberg, Palm Beach County State Attorney, had this to say. Well, you
8: know, they may want to keep that a secret until they're able to talk to Brian and family and others who may have information because it's something that that investigators may use where they know the cause of death and they may try to get a witness or Brian himself to say, no, I didn't strangle her. And then all of a sudden, how'd you know she was strangled? So that may not be information that they want to be let out to the public yet but at least they have ruled it a homicide. There are five options for the medical examiner. It could have been natural causes, accident, suicide, homicide, or undetermined. The fact that they ruled it a homicide is the one choice that's good for prosecutors.
5: And like us, we are sure you are also wondering why Brian hasn't been charged with a more serious crime. Ehrenberg gave a good explanation as to why that is. And what may be coming in the future?
8: I think that's coming, but there's always a tension in situations like this between police and prosecutors. There's a lot of pressure on police to find Brian Laundrie and to arrest him. But prosecutors have to meet a higher burden. See, for police to arrest, they just need probable cause. That's not that high of a burden. But for prosecutors, we need to prove cases beyond any reasonable doubt. So we're always telling police in situations like this to hold off on making the arrest. That's why you have this lesser count. That's an easy one to prove, and that can keep him in custody after he's found. But remember, prosecutors not only have a higher burden, but we have rules like if we don't file charges within 30 days of the arrest, then the guy goes free without any conditions until his trial. Also, we have speedy trial rules that say that we've got to try the case in 180 days, at least here in Florida, which is why prosecutors aren't rushing to file charges yet.
5: Many people have speculated that Brian's parents could be charged with accessory after the fact or obstruction of justice. Ehrenberg addressed the possibility of any charges. The parents of Brian Laundrie,
8: they have done everything possible to incriminate themselves in the court of public opinion. But in the court of the law, that is different because under the law, To be charged as an accessory after the fact, you need to know that Brian committed a crime, and then you have to do something to prevent his punishment or his arrest. So, for example, if they sanitize the van, now that'll get him hooked for a crime. If they hid evidence, if they bought him a plane ticket to get out of town because they knew he was involved in a crime, then you would see prosecutors getting ready to file charges right away. But we don't have that evidence yet. Right now we know that they the parents remain silent. They lawyered up, and that in itself is not a crime. In fact, the Fifth Amendment right against self-incrimination applies to the parents and Brian, and it can't be used against them in a court of law.
5: In honor of Gabby's life, and to help other families who may be in similar situation, Gabby's family announced the creation of the Gabby Petito Foundation.
3: Gabby Petito was a beautiful woman. Her- infectious smile and love of life made people gravitate to her. Gabby Petito loved life, loved people, and loved experiences. She was the bright light in everyone's life that knew her. Gabby's family does not want that light to dim, and they want to make some good from this awful tragedy. That's why they're starting the Gabby Petito Foundation. Jim Schmidt, Gabby's stepdad, and her father,
5: Joe Petito, spoke about the foundation at a press conference the family held.
9: We're just hoping that uh, through our tragedy uh, with losing Gabby, that in the future, that uh, some good can come out of it, that we can help other people that may be in a similar situation. Reach out to these other organizations that do similar things and find out what's missing. You know, what can we do to, to fill that void? What can we do to help people? Um, just from uh, the, Aware, uh, the AWARE Foundation alone and reaching two million people, they told us that other law enforcement agencies are now starting to look back at other missing persons cases and starting to uh, reinvestigate them and, and look into them. And we're just hopeful that it's, we're able to help people in the future, you know, just try to get through something similar. We need positive stuff to come from the tragedy that happened.
6: All right, we can't let her name be taken in vain. We need we need positive stuff. All right, so anything that we can do to bring that up and and, and help people, that's what we want to do.
0: Gabby's funeral was held on September 26, 2021, in Holbrook, New York. A large wall at the funeral home was lined with beautiful photos of Gabby, with an urn and candles in the center. But sadly, as loved ones gathered to say their goodbyes, Gabby's body was not there. The FBI had not yet released Gabby's body to her family, and they did not have a time frame as to when that might happen. Her body was still at the coroner's office in Wyoming. However, Gabby's family, who seemed like the most wonderful, genuine people, had this to say.
9: Part of our goal was we wanted to bring her home as as quickly as possible, Uh, but it's important for the uh, FBI, the Teton County sheriffs, the uh, Teton County uh, Coroner's Office uh, to hold on to her uh, for as long as they need. We want to make sure that no matter what, uh, we do not impede their investigation in any way. We wanted her home immediately. But we understand their position and uh, we know that she's safe with them and as long as she's with them. And uh, it was a very tough decision to have to make to to come home. But we felt it was important to come home so we could mourn her and uh, celebrate her life and be with our family and friends. And when they're ready to release her, we will be bringing her home.
0: Petito and Jim Schmidt both spoke at the beginning of the memorial service, sharing beautiful memories of Gabby.
6: Gabby is the most amazing person I've ever met. So if you're going to leave here today, I'm asking that you guys be inspired by the way she treated people, all people. Love knows no gender. Love knows no bounds. She didn't care. She genuinely loved people. It didn't matter. So when you leave here today, be inspired by what she brought to the table. Because the entire planet knows this woman's name now. And she's inspired a lot of women and a lot of men to do what's best for them first. Put yourself first and do it now while you have the time. I couldn't be more proud as a father.
0: Joe says that Gabby's story is already helping people and giving them the courage to leave abusive relationships. In a tweet, he wrote, She is already saving lives. So many stories being sent to us about relationships being left with proper planning for safety and people are being found due to her influence. We have much more work to do, but it's a start. The family is holding a fundraiser event on Sunday, October 17th at 1 p.m. at 89 North Music Venue in Patchogue, New York, for anyone who wants to attend and support the new foundation. Or donations can simply be made on their website at gabbypetitofoundation.org. We will share the video of Cassie speaking to protesters at her house, the photos the Newsom family took on their camping trip at DeSoto Park, and other photos and videos mentioned in this episode on our Facebook page. Go to facebook.com forward slash speaking of crime and share your thoughts, questions, and anything else with us.
3: Justice for Gabby is that we see justice for her homicide.